All right, we've been doing daily notes for quite a bit. I think it's time to get rid of that old baby sounding Evelyn intro, the brand new one. Evelyn, take it away. You're listening to Daily Notes, presented by Home Sideways. On this episode, we journey back to 30 years, the year 1992. We discuss two films that came out that year. And also, we journey back to the Jurassic Park franchise and talk about Jurassic Park 3, leading up to Jurassic World Dominion. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I drink your milkshake. If you only knew the power of the dark side. You have my curiosity. Now you have my attention. This is how I win. Shall we begin? Welcome back to the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast, everyone. My name is Adam. These are my daily notes where I have fun conversation about films. Today we're going to talk about two films from 1992, and I think they're actually pretty good. One's a blind spot, and one's a, a classic film that I really love. It's one from my childhood. The classic film, that, uh, the one blind spot review, I should say, is Unforgiven, directed by Clint Eastwood. And that classic film that I grew up watching was The Last of the Mohicans, it was starring Daniel Day-Lewis. I'm really excited to dive into the Last Mohicans conversation because I really do like that movie quite a bit. But going back to Unforgiven, and that was the spin of the wheel. That was the blind spot spin of the wheel uh, randomized movie of the week. And I gotta say, I really dug Unforgiven. Looking forward to talking about that film too. And of course, we're getting closer to Jurassic World Dominion. We have to go back into the Jurassic Park franchise and talk about Jurassic World 3. Which, or Jurassic Park 3, I meant. Jurassic Park 3 that came out in 2001, directed by Joe Johnston. Uh, but anyway, let's dive into our first review. And I think I want to dive right into Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. Step over to the office and get the bullwhip. A whipping? That's all they get after what they've done? Get out of It was a matter of honor. They're paying $1,000 to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? You English Bob. Outlaws were heroes. Well, I thought that you were dead. Hell, I even thought I was dead. Till I found out it was just in Nebraska. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri. Was as good as gold. My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what? You don't look no meaner than hell, cold-blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. Thousand dollars reward, Will. Nobody's gonna come. So you still have that Spencer rifle, huh? Yeah. He's my partner. He don't go, I don't go. What's it come to three ways? Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm gonna go back to being the way I was. Are you really going to kill them, cowboys? I do not like assassins. Or men of low character. We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. There are a lot of savages! A bunch of bloody savages! Assassin! Oh, I guess they have it coming. We all have it coming, kid. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. So Unforgiven came out in 1992 and is directed by Clint Eastwood. 
And the synopsis that I'm reading here on Letterboxd, if you haven't seen it for a while, I'm going to just quick give you a quick reminder what it's about. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. William Money is a retired, once ruthless killer turned gentle widower and hog farmer. To help, his, help to support his two motherless children, he accepts one last bounty hunter mission to find the men who brutalized a pr prostitute. Joined by his former partner, a cocky greenhorn, he takes on a corrupt sheriff. Uh, so Unforgiven, uh, I don't know why I've never watched this movie. I actually started watching this a few weeks back, but as I tend to do, as I'm getting older and working longer, I tend to fall asleep uh, quite easily, mind you, when we do start movies later at night. So this actually took me a couple times to get through. Uh, the first time I did fall asleep. The second time, however, I was like, nope, I gotta, gotta sit up, gotta enjoy the experience. And I gotta say, I absolutely enjoyed this ride of a film. I don't know why I never watched it up to this point. Maybe it's the Western appeal. I've never been like a huge fan of westerns for whatever reason. Like I think my favorite one, the only one that really comes to mind really is the True Grit with uh, that the Coen Brothers did. So I'm not really at, um, you know versed in westerns, and so there's a quite a bit of blind spots you can go down with the Clint Eastwood genre of films and John Wayne as well. Uh, just to name a few there. Uh, but Unforgiven here is a really cool movie. Uh, I think Clint Eastwood here does a really good uh, way of directing movies. Of course, he pumps out a couple films or like a couple films every few years nowadays. But back in the 90s, like, you know, The Bridges of Madison County was, is one of my favorite films that he's directed. Until I watched Unforgiven here. And with the way he was able to tell the story. Kind of a unique way. Because it doesn't really focus a whole lot on William Money. Like he is the main character. However there is a lot of other different side characters here. That makes the world rather interesting. And I think how they journey from point A to point B in the story. Where they go and try to collect this bounty. But then also go after this ruthless sheriff. Or the corrupt sheriff rather. Is kind of really interesting. And so William Money is a really fascinating character that I can see myself enjoying on multiple rewatches. I think Clint Eastwood just does a really good job knowing his, that this is genre and knowing the role that he's portraying on screen. This movie has a stacked cast with Gene Hackman as playing little Billy, a little Bill uh, Daggert, who is the corrupt sheriff here. We had Morgan Freeman showing up as Ned Logan, Richard Harris as English Bob. Uh, we also got. Uh, Francis Fisher, who's also who plays Strawberry Alice in here, uh, Strawberry Alice, which is right when you see her, it's like, oh, that's the mom from Titanic, <laughs> and that's like essentially what I said exact verbatim when I first watched the movie. I think every character, every actor in here plays their character really well, and I realized how much I missed Gene Hackman in movies. Seeing him as little Bill here as his corrupt sheriff, he actually just eats up this every inch of. Uh, screen time that he has and it's really awesome to see him back on the uh, on in a movie because i definitely haven't seen that and seeing him and clint eastwood go back and forth is really fascinating uh, morgan freeman here i think out of everybody on the cast he does a really good job but he's just not the character i'm really invested a whole lot in i like ned logan here i think him and eastwood have a good uh rapport with one another but out of everybody else i just want to see the other characters or little moments here uh, so maybe a, another rewatch here can make me enjoy Ned Logan's character even more. But not a bad thing here at all. Uh, I think the ladies in this little group that, that do um, 
put this job together because the whole this whole thing is that one of these uh, prostitutes gets kind of cut up by one of the um, patrons, I guess I should say. Uh, so it's kind of the they're hiring. They put a bounty out for these guys who cut up one of the ladies in this uh, this house. So that's why Clint Eastwood and uh, the Schofield kid come out to, uh, or Billy Money and the Schofield kid come out to collect this bounty, try to track down these guys who hurt this lady. And it's just, I think they did a really good job. I think there's a really good uh, chemistry in there, a mystery in there, and the sisterhood there that they, that comes with that, um, those characters there. Uh, but overall, Unforgiven, man, this is a really fascinating movie. And even though it starts off maybe a little slower because it's building up that world, it ends in a way that actually is like, it gets me excited and wants, it had a really rapid pace in the last 30, 40 minutes of the movie. And I think that's why it's just, it's paced really beautifully or and quickly too at the very end. Clint Eastwood does a great job. One of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies to date. I definitely need to watch some more, but Unforgiven currently on my 1992 list. Now, currently, I hadn't seen this movie until this time, but I have this as a four-star film, and it is currently ranked at number three on my top ten of 1992 list, bumping out Candyman, the horror classic from 1992, which is a really dang good movie and really kills me to bump that movie out of my top ten, but Unforgiven is definitely deserving of a top uh, top ten spot. And it's right in between A Few Good Men, for who, which was my number two film, and number my number four film, coincidentally enough, was a deep dive recently on the Almost Sideways podcast, Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh, Coffee's for closers, everybody. I need to rewatch that movie, definitely. But anyway, let's journey into another film, and that one is The Last of the Mohicans. It's not as I imagined it would be, thinking of it in Boston. Frontier is the only land available to people. Out here, they're beholden to none. As a new land was being carved out of an untamed frontier. Just dropped in to see how you boys is doing. One man, defiantly courageous, stood his ground. I thought all our colonial scouts were in the militia. I ain't your scout. You sure ain't no damn militia. One woman, fiercely independent, followed her spirit. My father warned me about people like you. He said, do not try to understand them. Do not try to make them understand you. Thank you so much. They shared an adventure. It was a war party. That means they're going to be attacking up and down the frontier. That took them from the edge of the wilderness. He saved us. We were alive only because of him. Are those the actions of a criminal? And into each other's hearts. Why didn't you leave when you had the chance? Because what I'm interested in is right here. You've done everything you could do. Thank yourself. Stay alive, no matter what occurs. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far. We'll find you. Academy Award winner, Daniel Day-Lewis, Madeline Stowe. The Last of the Mohicans. The Last of the Mohicans is directed by Michael Mann. And if you haven't seen the film in a while, here is the synopsis to remind you. The first American hero. As the British and French soldiers battle for control of the American colonies in the 18th century, the settlers and Native Americans are forced to take sides. 
Cora, Cora and her sister Alice unwittingly walk into trouble, but are reluctantly saved by Hawkeye, an orphaned settler adopted by the last of the Mohicans. Now, this film plays a good role in my kind of film-loving uh, journey. I remember watching this quite a bit growing up on VHS, and I would watch this quite a bit. And there was something about it, and I think a lot of it has to do, the reason why I loved it, that amazing score by Trevor Jones. And also I see Randy Edelman as well. Uh, I actually remember, I, I'm reminded by how amazing that score was, because immediately when the, I put the movie in, in the PlayStation, I just got caught back into it. And I was like, oh, I got to download that for my my phone just so I could listen to it in the car. It is a great score. And one of my actual favorites, I think, the especially the track, uh, The Kiss, and also the main title track, too. It's just one of those ones that the when they're running through the forest, you just get into it and you're like, oh, you can feel them running and you're wanting to run alongside them to go to the rescue and um, defeat the, the the villains of that at that scene and it's just really great classic uh kind of score there that i absolutely just really enjoy i, I got really nostalgic for that score uh, but also the performance by daniel day lewis as hawkeye here uh, i've always really enjoyed this movie quite a bit a lot probably more than a lot of other people and i think it's just because it's one of those uh, r-rated movies that I was i was allowed to watch at a very young age and there was some stuff in there that i was like oh that, there's some, pretty some violence right there that i'm i'm able to see and uh my parents are okay with so i think that's also has a little bit to do it i i, I guess it's not really huge spoilers but you know there's scenes in there where they're uh, getting people are getting scalped by the uh the, the i guess the villainous one of the villainous tribes here and then also like somebody gets their their heart cut out too which i i always uh, up to this point, I've always thought was his tongue, even though uh, it was referenced that the character was going to cut out his heart, but I've always thought it was the tongue. And I, I guess I, before I get too far ahead of me, myself, let's get talk about this cast here. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis plays Hawkeye. We got Madeline Stowe as Cora Monroe. Uh, Russell Means as Chinaguk. West Studi as Magua. That's the character right there. Wes Studi is such an amazing actor. And him, him as his character is what I see of him every single time I see him on in a movie there. So this Mogwai character. And when he, he has such a complexity to him that is rather fascinating. Because you can totally side with him. And you're not wrong for siding with him. But just his ways. I guess Hawkeye said it best in this movie. Is that he has uh, his brain is cr twisted basically. And um, blackened, and, and and that's a very uh, good way to put it because yeah, his his thoughts are twisted into becoming like this evil person, but he thinks he's doing it for good. And I think that's what makes him such a complex character and a fascinating character too, because he doesn't have to say a whole lot, uh, but you understand and you can relate to what he's feeling. So West Studio does a great job, and I think he's one of the more underrated actors, probably of his generation of all time go a long ways, but I, I love West Studi. And uh, for Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, I may, I may not be the most well-versed for his filmography, but this has always been one that I have enjoyed. And I think his character and seeing him in kind of a, a more action-y movie is really awesome and fascinating. And I've just always really enjoyed it, The Last of the Mohicans. And this it's, it's easily a three-and-a-half-star film, uh, but watching it, for me, it's a three-and-a-half-star film, and I'm not going to change my rating on the website. I can critique it a little bit because... 
watching this, I'm more excited for the back half of the film because that is so well-paced and really compact with what it's trying to do. And it moves into the rapid uh, succession. Uh, but at the beginning of it, it, it there is a little slower buildup uh, that it feels disjointed a little bit because there's some really cool, amazing spots in the beginning. And then there's a, this kind of love scene in the, in the movie between Hawkeye and Korra that feels rather rushed, but it makes sense, but it also just feels out of place. And you're just kind of, I'm left wanting to see what happens next and get to past those parts. I want to hit fast forward to get to the next sequence. Uh, but overall, this is a, a very solid film that I love watching, and my wife had never actually seen it. And from uh, from what I remember her saying is that she actually rather enjoyed it too. Uh, so that's always a plus when I can find a balance of a film that I really love that she can also enjoy. Uh, that's, that's a win for me, so I know this is going to be watched probably again in the future. So that's always great. And I guess my last closing thoughts on The Last of the Mohicans is that it currently is my number seventh film my seventh favorite film of 1992. And to kind of recap, so kind of know what's in my top ten, I, I previously did mention that Candyman was my original number ten before I watched Unforgiven. So that's no longer there. So number ten currently is Wayne's World. Nine is Aladdin. Eight, My Cousin Vinny, which I definitely need to want, can't want to watch. I want to watch that again soon. Uh, seven is The Last of the Mohicans. Six, A League of Their Own. Five, Of Mice and Men. Four, Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Three, Unforgiven. Two, A Few Good Men, and number one, Reservoir Dogs. So really uh, pretty, I, I, I really like my top ten uh, debate in, on Twitter or whatever. Follow me on almost Adam Sideways. Anyway, uh, but anyway, that's journey into Jurassic Park with our final review of the day, and that's Jurassic Park 3, directed by Joe Johnson. I have a, a proposition I'd like to discuss with you. I've chartered an airplane to fly us over Isla Sorna, and we'd like you to be our guide. We'd love to make a contribution to your research here. It could almost be paradise. My God, I'd forgotten. We have a landing strip up here. You cannot land on this island. Oh, my God! But in this forbidden place, where man has tampered with nature... This is how you make dinosaurs? This is how you play God. Something unexpected has evolved. They can talk to each other. To a degree we never imagined. On July 18th... You probably won't get off this island alive. It's not just a walk in the park. They set a trap. They actually set a trap. Jurassic Park 3 is the third film in the Jurassic Park franchise. It's the first film not directed by Steven Spielberg. And this time we see Joe Johnson take the helms, the helm of the Jurassic Park franchise. This third film uh, came out in 2001, so it's celebrating its 21st anniversary. It's about an hour and 32 minutes, or a kind of, a little, I think it's about the one of the shorter ones in this franchise, too. Uh, but we also see the return of Dr. Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill. A very brief appearance of a returning Ellie Sadler's character, played by Laura Dern. We see two, a couple of new characters join the fold of the franchise. Willem H. Macy, Tay Leone, play the Kirbys, 
and Trevor Morgan plays their son as Eric Kirby. And we also see very underrated actor Alessandro Navola as Billy Brennan in this franchise here. There's some other uh, characters here, but those are the, the most notable ones. Uh, Joe Johnson is a great choice to direct this third film, I would have to say, because I think that he has that same fantasy kind of scope that Spielberg does go for. He is the director of Jumanji. I think Rocketeer, which I've never seen, though. And this is before, obviously, he got the Captain America first Avenger film. So it kind of seems like Joe Johnson would be a kind of a great pick to follow up a Spielberg project. Uh, for me, though, this one is a mixed bag. I have very nostalgic feels toward it toward it but re-watching this one I'm left with more answers especially watching or more questions than answers especially after watching all three of them binge or all all five movies up to this point binging then leading up to the new film uh, and there's just a lot of questions here obviously Isla Sorna if you're a big friend of the franchise is the location of the second and third films the first film is Is Isla Nubar so we, we don't know what happens to that first island until Jurassic World, right? That's the fourth film. But Isla Sorna, we return here from the second movie. And there's a new dinosaur. There's some new adventures here. Uh, but essentially, this pl plot and what we we're following is the Kirby's, they, uh, Kirby's son, Eric, kind of went on a, had a freak parasailing accident and landed on Isla Sorna. So the Kirby's decided that we're going to have some alternative motives and kind of lie to Dr. Alan Grant to try to get him, persuade him, in a, in a, um, persuade him to get him back on this island to help them find their son. And everything goes crazy. We see some really awesome Velociraptor sequences. We see this brand new uh, dinosaur as the Spinosaurus. And we see the, the amazing sequence in this movie, probably the best sequence of the this this film for, for sure that's the birdcage with the pterodactyls pterodactyls uh, probably one of my favorite moments probably that's like a top 10 moment of the franchise so far is that birdcage sequence from this film uh, however you know there are some really cool moments that i remember standing out so on one hand i really like this movie quite a bit even though i know that there is some uh, more popcorn feels to like about it you know it's 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 feels like it's one of those uh, films that is kind of a straight-to-DVD version of a very popular franchise. Uh, however, it is enjoyable. I remember getting this movie for my birthday. My parents bought this for me. I, I can't remember. I think it was like, I have to do the math here, so bear with me there. But I, I don't know. I was early teenagers, in, in early teenage years, maybe 11 or 12, roughly, and receiving this for my birthday. I was super stoked. And I actually watched this movie quite a bit. I think I watched this movie a lot more than I've watched The Lost World of Jurassic Park. I, I enjoyed uh, the kind of funnier, kookier moments that maybe, I guess, today's uh, smart audiences would say, oh, or Twitter audiences would be like, oh, that's just horrible. This is so cheesy, a talking philosopher, whatever. But 12, 11-year-old Adam absolutely ate that up and made it super enjoyable for me and it was one that it didn't feel so dark it didn't feel like it was taking itself too seriously but it also had some really fun elements so why we watched this one with the family and you know we we absolutely had a blast with this one especially my wife and i we were laughing and joking around about the movie it really kind of just on the edge of our seat because we hadn't seen it for a few years and i think we always every couple of years we always binge watch the Jurassic Park franchise anyway because it's not does not have too many entries in the, the franchise and they're really just fun popcorn flicks and I remember a conversation that I had with my wife Arlette and 
uh, her, her and I just going back and forth were like, I'm left with more questions than answers because I saw what happened at the end of the Lost World of Jurassic Park, but now you're adding this, these little elements here in this film that don't make sense to the other movie now. However, I had a blast watching this movie. It's just a lot of fun. And I absolutely, uh, that's what this film is. It's like Taco Bell. It, it, it take, goes down really good, but it's not really good for you. And that's kind of what it is. It's like fast food. It, it's a easily digestible meal. Maybe it doesn't come out so great, but it is just a fun time. Uh, Jurassic Park 3 is a two-star film for me. And it, it, it definitely, after rewatching all the franchise, I don't want to spoil my ranking of them. I haven't seen the uh, Dominion, mind you. But this is my least favorite entry in the franchise. But it's one that I would go back to a lot more than maybe the, the other ones. But just because it's maybe the ridiculousness of some of the moments. But it's just dang fun and I can't deny it that. Uh, I, do, do, I don't like certain elements. Of course, the talking raptor sequence on the plane. The little dream sequence he has. The setup of getting back on the island kind of seems forced. Where it's just a money uh, money element to get him to back there. Uh, some of the, the calls with the the velociraptor with them using this little fake uh core uh focal cord focal box to change uh to communicate with them kind of seems silly and the spinosaurus is a dinosaur that we never actually see get defeated and he kills the tyrannosaurus rex rather quickly and we don't see what happens to the spinosaurus he runs off so hopefully dominion shows him uh, that dinosaur again that would be pretty dang awesome uh, here's hoping in a couple weeks that we see that but Jurassic Park 3 is going to fall at the bottom of my ranking uh, as of now, but still a really fun entry, so definitely check it out if you haven't seen it in a while. All right, let's journey into this mystery wheel to see what year we will be spending and what blind spot movie we are going to watch next. All right, so if you've been listening for a while, you know the drill. I put a bunch of years that are celebrating the anniversary, so anything with a 82 up all the way up to 2017. So anything with an 8, or no, with a 2 and a 7 in it. And I also put big blind spots as well as Spielberg films, because I definitely want to start watching more of those. I go, But going forward, if I fall on a year here, I want to go back and revisit uh, some older films from those different years. So for instance, like today, I last week, I spun Unforgiven, which came out in 1992. That's why I reviewed The Last of the Mohicans, which also came out in the same year, uh, to try to keep it kind of uniform. Um, so anyway, let's spin this wheel and let's see what year we fall on. All right, we're spinning here. All right, we are falling on, oh yes, 2002. 2002, kid, we are, uh, yeah, there's, there's a couple movies I can think of that came out. We've already seen a couple movies from this year on this blind spot. Watches Far From Heaven comes to mind and Mulholland, uh, no, uh, yeah, Far From Heaven. Come on, 2002. Let's see what movie. Let's put some movies in here and see what we're watching. All right, so I called my daughter in here, so she's going to spin the mystery wheel here. However, before we uh, spin it, we need to tell the folks what movies we put on here. So we put a few handful here, but we got City of God, Adaptation, Chicago, The Hours, Swim Fan, Eternal Affairs, and Punch Drunk, Lo Drunk Love. I think the movies I really want to watch on this one is... Eternal Affairs, City of God, Punch Drug Love, and Adaptation. Uh, the Chicago, I know, is one of the best picture lineup. The Hours is another one that I hadn't seen a performance from that I wanted to see. And Swim Fan is just one that I, I remember that I, I've seen the box for. and probably is the, probably the worst one on this one, but I kind of just wanted uh, to watch it. So anyway, we're going to have her click 
the mouse and spin the wheel, please, Evelyn. Let's spin the wheel. All right, we're spinning around here. Where it will stop, no one will know. All right. Oh, yes. Okay. Got, what is it? We got, we got City of God. <laughs> City of God is the film that we will be watching on our next Blind Spot from 2002. That means I'm going to also look revisit a couple films from 2002. There's a couple on this list that I de from that year that I definitely want to revisit. Uh, so look forward to the next episode of Daily Notes coming soon. And until next time, guys, I will see you in the next one. Later.